The word liturgy is work of the people, and we go on Sunday, mm. and perhaps we're hoodwinked into thinking that this is this is it. We've ticked a box. Yeah. But in fact, the body and blood of Christ is within us, and mm. we are sent out to the margins of communities. And so addressing people where they're at in their brokenness through your brokenness mm. so understanding your own weaknesses and your own broken the broken part of your life connects you somehow to those that are on the margins absolutely and yeah that's how it happened organically and god led us that way and it remains that way welcome to coffee with bishop suriel a podcast for all things Coptic. This is a conversation about authentic Christian faith, Coptic history, patristic writings, the family, arts and music, religious education, youth matters, evangelism, and much more. Bishop Suriel likes his coffee like he likes his conversation, light, sweet, and scorching. We'll be joined by an array of guests who'll share their experiences, their backgrounds, and their insights to bring about an exciting discussion, and we hope you agree. Enjoy the podcast, and please welcome our host, Bishop Suriel. As we're joined by Debbie Armanios, the director of Exodus Youth Works, an innovative way of serving youth in crisis. This is part one in our three-part series. Here's His Grace and our special guest, Your Grace. Irini Pasi, peace be with you. I welcome all of you, wherever you may be right now. Maybe in the car, on the train, at the office, or even still in your pajamas feeding the kids breakfast, or relaxing at home after a long day's work. I would also like to welcome my guest this week, and for the next two weeks, actually, Debbie Armanius, all the way from sunny Sydney, Australia. Well, not sure of the sunny part, though, as Australia is in the middle of winter. Debbie is the founder and director of Exodus YouthWorks. Welcome, Debbie. It is a great, it is so great to have you with us today. Good morning, Your Grace, and thank you for this opportunity uh, to speak with you. We miss you, and it's always lovely to catch up. Thank you. Ah, you're most welcome, and really, I'm so excited about these few episodes that we will discuss the amazing work that you're doing at Exodus Youth Work. So welcome again. Let me tell you a little about this amazing servant of the Lord. Debbie Armanius is a fifth-generation Australian, and she was born in Sydney, New South Wales, in 1961, so she's two years older than me. Her great-great-great-grandparents are from Irish, English, and Scandinavian backgrounds. Debbie also has four ancestors who were on the first fleet into Sydney that arrived into Botany Bay on January 20, 1788. How fascinating! And I will ask more about this in a few minutes. She is married to Dr. Magdi Armanios, a semi-retired dentist by profession, who has his surgery in Dulwich Hill in Sydney. 
and in fact was my dentist for many years and a great friend. Dulwich Hill High School, where I worked as a maths teacher, was just around the corner from there. Debbie and Magdi have two grown-up children, Elizabeth and Luke. Debbie is also a grandmother. Debbie was educated at Moorfield Public High School and in 1977, at the age of 15, was baptized into the Coptic Orthodox Church. It was His Eminence Metropolitan Antonius Marcos of South Africa who took her first confession and continues to spiritually guide her till today. Debbie began serving as a Sunday school teacher at 17 years of age, and she continued to serve in this capacity as well as in youth ministry for 25 years. A superintendent for Sunday schools for 10 years, and registered the first Coptic college in Australia, St. Athanasius Homeschool College. There, she homeschooled her two children from preschool to year 12. Both her children entered university by the age of 16. Debbie also co-developed the Coptic Orthodox Studies curriculum for the Coptic colleges in Sydney and taught Coptic Orthodox studies for seven years at those colleges. She has served for the past 25 years in South Africa in the field of mission under the guidance of Metropolitan Antonius Marcos. Exodus Youth Works, or EYW, as some people call it, was founded in Sydney by Debbie 20 years ago and its director since that time. She is also the founding member of Exodus Youth Works in South Africa and in the UK. What an amazing career, Debbie, you have had so far with an incredible skill set in teaching, outreach, community development, and I would add entrepreneurship in having the vision of establishing EYW. Let us take a short break and we'll be right back to begin part one of our three-part conversation with Debbie Armanios, the director of Exodus Youth Works, all the way from Sydney, Australia. This three-part series is titled Exodus Youth Works, an Innovative Ministry for Youth in Crisis. So, welcome again, Debbie, and I thank you for making the time to share with our viewers and listeners a more in-depth conversation about your work with Youth in Crisis. And thank before, you, Grace. It's uh, wonderful to join you. <laughs> You're most welcome, and I hope you have your coffee. I do. Uh, well, it's tea, but yes, <laughs> coffee as well later. <laughs> Ellie Beveridge is fine here on, on the podcast. <laughs> So before we talk uh, about Exodus Youth Works, mm. I'm very interested to hear more about the history of your family, where they came from, and this interesting combination of Ireland and Scandinavia. It is. It's a strange mix. And then to end up within the Egyptian community. So my children have uh, quite the United Nations 
um, within them. So uh, I have four direct descendants on the first fleet, and some were known for their highway robbery. (laughs) (laughs) So how how uh, did you find out about that? Well, the first fleet um, and the convicts within the ships are all documented. And so, uh, you know, amongst my family, it would be spoken about. And my one of my older cousins did a lot of research and she passed that down. And out at Botany Cemetery, you can actually go there and there are um, the names of the ships with all the convicts and the sailors and the the captain of the ship there all noted so it's not so hard and you can find out what they did and why they were given seven years in the colony (laughs) so were you able actually to track down their names yes yes we have them yes we do do you do you remember what they are I've actually written them down because we don't speak about them that often, but um, (laughs) we have uh, John and Mary Squire, so they were married later on, and we've got Elizabeth and James later on. Uh, So when one of them, one was um, uh, given to, as a, when one of them became a free man, uh, a slave was slave was given to him and he later married her so yes and one of them was very famous for doing the first um, brewing of beer in australia so that is amazing (laughs) (laughs) highway robbery and uh, tell me what what did you find out about that highway robbery this was Uh, back in england yeah yes in england and one in ireland somewhere and funny enough they all had to do with uh bolts of material and clothing and a lot of my my mom and part of her family were always into uh, uh, dressmaking so I think we hung on to it. (laughs) Wow Uh, and you know back at that time some of the convicts that they actually sent out to Australia you know were were sent out for uh, meager crimes like you know stealing a loaf of bread or something like this so uh, um, yes I think chickens, one of the uh, <laughs> <laughs> chickens. And then, and then beyond that, we've got a link with uh, Finland. So mm-hmm. a lot of migration amongst the European colonies at the, before that. So, yes. So which side of the family were Scandinavian? My mother's. Okay, <laughs> yeah. And so the research that you did, are there any books that would be, you know, some of our viewers or listeners... Um, may be interested to read, to know more about the First Fleet? Ah, the internet is very powerful. Um, You can quite easily get onto the First Fleet arriving in Sydney in 1788, and the stories are all there. So I have read a few books, but I find, you know, if you want a brief capture of of what happened, um, that's it. You know, we arrived against our will, and uh, we're still here now seven years, seven generations later. That's amazing. It would be but good the if sun you... doesn't help. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But it would be good if you could send me a couple of those links and any books that you may oh. know of because I'd love to put some notes in, uh, in, in, uh, for the viewers and listeners that want to delve deeper into that. Some people may be interested. So Absolutely. if we move on to another question, 
Um, do you know anything or have you been able to do any research about your four ancestors that were on the first fleet in 1788? Any further information that you could add? No, only the most famous one uh, was the fellow that started the brewery here. So he was able to take his um, knowledge of hop, for, um, hops and making of beer and introduce it into the new colony. So um, that's, that's about as good as it gets, unfortunately. Mm. <laughs> and do you remember his name? Uh, yes, uh, that was the, um, I don't really uh, go too deep into it. It was James Squire, okay. James Squire. Very good. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> so what can you tell us? I don't us? have a history like the cops. <laughs> <laughs> but it's still interesting. and It's, you know, part of the beginning yeah. of Australia. So, you know, to be able to go back that far. You know, I'm sure mm. our viewers and listeners uh, would be fascinated by that. So what can you tell us about your family, parents, siblings, where you grew up in Sydney? And what do you remember of Sydney back in the 1960s and 70s? Well, um, we were not brought up in a church-going family. We didn't know faith at all, actually. And we just went to the regular uh, primary school. Um, here in Australia, the beach is a big thing. So surfing was definitely on the weekend activities. Which, it's which funny beach? That, uh, Cronulla. Okay. Cronulla. Yes. And um, I, I'm very fair. I'm one of the fairest in my family. So the Scandinavian side really clashes badly <laughs> with the Sydney sun. <laughs> yes. So it's deadly. Um, and look, we were brought up in a home that, um, you know, had its issues, very standard Australian issues. Um, uh, my father, you know, did drink a lot. Uh, my mum was wonderful. She sort of carried us through and uh, saw us to safe places. Yes. So I have uh, two brothers and a sister, and uh, I'm Older, the second younger. youngest. Yeah, go on. Yes. My mother's one of 15, actually. Wow. So the family were Irish uh, <laughs> Catholics originally, but that was lost. And often that happens with uh, Australian families. We... We just lose our identity, I guess. Mm. Not, you know, even five generations later, we're only finding out things that we actually didn't even know at the time wow. growing up. So mm. you said two, two brothers and a sister? Yes. And older or younger? My two brothers are older than I am, and my sister is two years younger. Oh, wonderful. And any mm. other memories about growing up in Sydney in the 60s and 70s, other than the, the beach? Of course, that's a, a big <laughs> cultural thing. <laughs> it is. It's huge. I think uh, that's for any Australian, um, the beach and the sun. And that's Australia. It's very laid back, as, as you know. It's very laid back. It's very casual um, and pretty much our religion, to be honest. Nature plays a huge part. 
That's true. And my mom, I remember my mom saying, you know, there's no need to go to church, just look outside. And uh, that still holds true for me. I tend to connect with God uh, through nature quite mm. a bit. Mm. Was your mom religious at all? No. Mm. Yeah. So um, uh, you were baptized at the age of 15, very mm. young. And can you yes. perhaps share how you came to know the Coptic Orthodox Church, where and by whom you were baptized, and what do you recall about this important day in your life? Mm. Well, I was going to school with an Egyptian girl, and uh, I, it's funny, you know, for we speak about mission and outreach a lot, and we talk about the four Gospels. But I'm a firm believer that the fifth gospel, which is the one that has your name on it, speaks louder in the lands of immigration and those places that don't naturally have a faith built into it. So um, as I was going to school with her, um, I would visit her. And certainly I saw within that family something that we didn't have. And I couldn't really even give it a name. Can you share her name? Yes, her name is Suhir, and she's now my sister-in-law. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so I was, um, my family were going through a pretty tough time, and I needed to get a, a part-time job, and her brother was, uh, had graduated from uh, university, and so I started working with Magdi in Dulwich Hill, and very soon the priest's father, a wonderful priest by the name of Father Musa Solomon, Yes. Solomon had just arrived from Egypt. He uh -huh. didn't even speak English, wow. and this was no barrier for him. Magdi requested that he speak with me and try and impart some wisdom and peace, and uh, he did that, and he did a very good job. So what, what year did you start working with Magdi? Oh, goodness, 1975, maybe? Wow, that early. Yeah, a long time. I was still at school, so I used to work in the evenings on, on Saturday. And Abuna Musa had Magdi um, introduce me to the church, so we would go on a Wednesday afternoon to our wonderful, blessed St. Mary's Church in Sydney. Yes. And it was there that I was introduced to the Orthodox faith. We didn't have any books in English. My confession started being translated, actually. So uh, his, his so, eminence now, his eminence, uh, Bishop Antonius Marcos came and uh, took my first confession in English, but then Abuna Musa took over, and I am in debt to those wonderful servants. So how did you communicate then? Was it through Magadhi that would be translating, or how were you communicating with uh, Father Musa, for example? There are three people that were around the church that would translate and guide uh, the spiritual direction. Magdi was one of them. And uh, I, remember, I remember the first lesson I had, and that was not to have any enemies. And I had not seen my father for many, many years. I made an effort to see him. He came to my workplace. He met Magdi. Later he went to the church and said some interesting things. He said, you should stay here. It's nice. I said, yes, maybe. That's very interesting. And yes. And then one week to the day and the time of the liturgy he attended, he passed away. 
Oh, he attended the liturgy with you. Yes, the week before. Wow, wow. So mm. that set the pace. Um, at the time of the baptism, knowing God's voice now and how he works and seeing his hand every day, I can see where he was connect. I can see the dots connecting. But at the time, I was just walking and he would allow people to step into my life and to uh, serve me in so many ways. And then I found myself being baptized with my two baptismal brothers uh-huh. uh, one morning and the journey began. Yeah. Who were the two that you were baptized with? So Abuna Musa Solomon's son, Mina. Yes. And uh, Joseph Messiah. Yes, a very funny boy. I know them both very well. <laughs> They're very close. Till today, they, oh. they have not left me in all these years. They're there when I need them. They serve me and uh, we serve together. And it's a wonderful blessing that I've had these families around me. So at 15, is very young for a teenager to make that big decision to come into a different culture, a church, you know, that mm. is an ancient church, not your, you know, standard the church that may have been in Australia at that time. Could you pinpoint one thing in particular that said, yes, I want to be part of that church? There was certainly a piece about it. And yes, it was very... Even till today, it can be very foreign at times. It's a different culture, but it is my home, and I felt that at the time. And I remember vividly being baptized and being um, able to swim really well, but uh, Abuna Musa did hold me down under that water for a long time. (laughs) And I remember coming up gasping for breath. Um. God's will. When God wants someone, he will deliver. And uh, I, till today, I feel that I've been very blessed and really carried by God's hand every day, wherever I've, whatever I've been involved in from that day, from that, that school friend that shined into my life a little bit and then bit by bit it began to illuminate. Yeah. Well, you've yeah. certainly been on an incredible journey, and uh, uh, I certainly remember those early days at uh, St. Mary and St. Mina. So what are some of your memories back in the early days of St. Mary and St. Mina Parish in mm-hmm. the suburb of Sydenham, obviously before it's moved to Bexley now, but uh, I have some wonderful memories there, and I'm sure that you do as well. Absolutely. I think what stands out uh, Good Friday stands out to me, and Thok Tetigom. Uh, I had some wonderful friends around me that was they were explaining everything to me, and it was a very long day. But that that tune till today sends shivers down my spine. Mm, such a beautiful it, tune. It is, and so ancient. So, yeah, um, the community, the acceptance, the um, the wonderful friends we made i made um and you know all of them so pretty special community and they remain special yeah Uh, i i believe i always ask young people in youth meetings you know why do your family why do you think your families came to australia and they said they always say two things one for a better life and to be safe 
And I believe there's a strong third uh, reason, and I believe it's to bring orthodoxy and true faith and the faith of the early church to this to this country, but to the lands of immigration. So God allowed the oppression and he allowed the struggles within Egypt for families like yourselves to be on a ship, unlike <laughs> my own, and to travel to a far country yes. and to bring with them the essence and the, the and Christ, really, Christ, mm. to people who were patiently waiting. Yeah. So very true. I think we still have a lot of uh, work to do to bring the message of uh, orthodoxy to Australia and many different parts of the world. But certainly you've played a significant role um, in the work that you are doing. I had another question on this. When you first came into the church of St. Mary and St. Me, and I'm sure you remember that day, yes. you know, with the blonde hair, <laughs> fair skin, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> right? What was yes. the reaction of the congregation? Well, I found them very welcoming. Um, I mean, it still happens today. If I go to another part of the world and I enter the Coptic church, which is truly my home, I know it better than my own home, some, someone will come across and uh, say something, can I, can, you know, would you like a book or would you like me to explain the icons? <laughs> like you that. probably can and, explain it better than them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but um, yeah, look, I, I really think people want to share their Christ to anyone that will listen. And it was a lovely, uh, you know, I, even in South Africa, um, you know, I'm amongst the black townships, and I, I actually don't see myself as white as I am, I guess. I see myself as being Coptic Orthodox. Yes. And many times I'll be in a meeting and uh, or visiting a home uh, that's struggling, and the father or someone will say in Arabic, oh, why do you have a foreigner, you know, amongst us? And I can understand that quite well. And it's like, well, you know, I'm Coptic Orthodox too. Mm. And you know, God, God works. I, it's beautiful. I find it pleasantly surprising that, you know, you had that warm welcome uh, the first time that you entered into the church. It's really wonderful. So yes. I mentioned in the introduction that you served as a Sunday school teacher and youth leader. And what are your mm. recollections of that time? Well, I think Abuna Musa was very wise. He put me in with the angels class, I think, to learn. Which is the so, young toddlers. The toddlers. Yes. And so, you know, I'm entering hardly knowing what Easter and Christmas as a celebration were. So he put me in there, look after the children, and that was really, you know, that was great. And at the same time, I was learning. And uh, that's how it went. The youth meetings there would be somebody translating with me all the time. Uh, the Ashaya uh, prayers Vespers. and sermons, yeah, Magdi and many others would translate for me. And I was captivated. This was something I'd never seen before. So was the Sunday school back then all in Arabic? Yes. Wow. Yes, yes. That's, yes we're talking was. in the 70s now. Yes, but somebody would always be there to translate. And um, 
someone gave me, uh, you know, I had a Bible by that time. In fact, His Eminence, uh, I was always go to call him His Grace Bishop Antonius Marcos, but recently <laughs> yes. His Eminence uh, gave me one book, and that was Stana Rohban. Uh, and I still have Paradise that. Paradise of the Fathers. Patterns. The Paradise of the Fathers, yes. Yes, beautiful. Um, it's in tatters now, and I keep repairing it. And one Agbeya. The liturgy prayers were typed out on coloured paper. <laughs> it wasn't even a book. Wow. Yeah. So, mm. um, but the language of love and of service definitely spoke beyond boundaries. Um, and I, I believe till today, you know, when we're in communities where we're doing outreach, I believe strongly in serving and the words of um, St. Uh, uh, Francis of Assisi, if you have to go out, you know, don't say anything. If you have to use words, okay, but try not to. <laughs> and um, it's true. To, to love means to wash one's people's feet, and mm. whether it's children or uh, larger communities, it's the same, and it's not hard. No. Yeah, I think I would totally agree with you there that, uh, you know, there is a language beyond language, which is that, that language of love that you spoke about, um, mm. and that reflects very clearly in your life and in your ministry, Debbie. Um, so I just go back to that Sunday school class that you were teaching, mm. Um, you say now all the all the children uh, could not speak English, or they were being taught only in Arabic back then. Yes, they were being taught in mostly Arabic, but a little bit of English. But they were, you know, they were going to they were beginning school, so they did speak English. Um, the youth meetings were mostly held. I'm trying to think back. Mostly Arabic, maybe English. Uh, but we did have servants that could speak English. So uh, I, I, I don't tend to focus on language. I strongly believe, and even till today, that I, I'm pretty sure I'm the first non-Egyptian baptised in Sydney, as far as I know. And I'm rather spoilt by God's hand and I feel that he taught me directly. He sent me servants. He sent me words. His Holy Spirit certainly was working in my life from that time. And so many years have passed, and yet every day, every day, I hear that same voice guiding me in, in, in my service. And he has spoiled me, most definitely. That's really amazing. You know, all the experiences that you've had and um, the way that you, you know, persevered even when, you know, it was difficult to understand the language of the liturgy. I'm sure back then it was all mm -hmm. in Arabic and Coptic, you know, uh, says a lot about you. So female superintendents of Sunday school are a rare yeah. commodity in the Coptic <laughs> church. Where was yeah. this? And how was it accepted by the other teachers? Was there any resistance to this from some circles? Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. So uh, by the time our children were born, we were at St. George 
Coptic Orthodox Church in Kensington, and Abuna Moros Kerla was looking after us, Taufik. Yes. And uh, a, really great a wonderful, priest, by the way. wonderful servant. Yes. And again, I'm spoiled. So everything about St. George Kensington is about being Coptic Orthodox, down to the smallest detail. And uh, eventually when I, I made my way to Egypt and saw the old churches, if you enter our church in Sydney, in Kensington, yeah. it is like the old churches in old Cairo. Yes. Yeah, so he was a he is a fine fine servant and he started uh, me in Sunday school there with my children and as they grew I grew and eventually to superintendent maybe they were desperate I think but uh, they took a gamble and I had a wonderful 10 years uh, and now the the superintendent now is one of my old Sunday school students <laughs> In fact, a lot of them are sort of the, the heads of the families within the Sunday school uh, right. program. And we talk a lot, and uh, I'm there still in the background. But, uh, yeah, I, I didn't feel any opposition within St. George. And okay. you're right, female superintendents are not, uh, even today, are not very common. Yes. Um, so but, there was no resistances from anywhere or you didn't hear no. negative comments? <laughs> no. That's interesting. No. I think from other parishes, certainly there was, when we would meet as superintendents, there were some, perhaps a few, a little bit unsure, especially when we had to keep speaking English right. on my behalf, as much as I've tried to learn Arabic. Um, I don't know. Uh, some people say I'm stubborn. Um, I... I wonder whether the the positive side of being stubborn is determined. I, I would and use so, the word resilient. I think resilient. You, you show a lot yeah. of resilience in everything that you've done. Yeah. 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 Oh, I wouldn't have changed any of it. I've loved <laughs> every day. So, yeah. No. And but so, I suppose God was preparing me for Exodus. I yes. really believe that that took some, you know, we really had to be uh, strong and uh, full of grit to yeah. get that off the ground. <laughs> so. And so did your Arabic improve along the years? <laughs> <laughs> I can read and write uh, poorly, oh. but I can read and write. I wow. went to university for a little while there. Um, In I, Egypt? Yes. Pardon? Or, you learned to read and write in Egypt or in Australia? No, in Australia. Okay. Yes, in Sydney University. Oh. Um, yeah, it, I love languages, so um, I'm always keen to learn. I've had a little bit of uh, Zulu as well, being oh. in South Africa. Yes. But Arabic, yes, I can, I can manage. I go to Egypt quite frequently, and I'm on my own, and I get my way around, and I'm okay. <laughs> I should wonderful. make a very good spy one day. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a wonderful in introduction, uh, Debbie. Thank you for all of that. And uh, let us take a short break. And we'll be back to begin delving into the 20-year journey of Exodus Youth Works. We'll be right back. So, Debbie, when did Exodus Youth Works begin? And what was your motivation to launch such an important ministry 
and one that was very much lacking back then. In fact, such a ministry existed nowhere in the Coptic Orthodox Church. I believe the God's plan for Exodus actually started back in St. Mary's Church in Sydney, and I believe uh, yourself and uh, His Grace Bishop Angelos and Abuna, Matir- uh, Abuna Meritius. You rented a house next door, and I believe that there was uh, a counsellor there sometimes, and you began to look to social welfare for our community. I think the the concept of this service was born there. And then you all left and became ordained. Yeah. And it quite it was sort of suppressed for a little while. On our within our service in South Africa, we would go twice a year. And one year we came back. Uh, we would always take young people that were sort of they weren't serving Sunday school. They were a little bit not sure what they do within the service. So they would come back here one time and they said, why don't we do the same in Sydney? Let's go to a park where our friends are with uh, their shisha and whatever. And actually the service of Exodus Youth Works was, was birthed from the mission from South Africa. So in 2002, late 2002, we got back. 2003, we started in a park, which we stayed there for two years, rain or shine. So that's a bit of grit uh, training for you. Uh, Till about one o'clock in the morning. Um, The first night, there were five young people. The following week, there were 10. The following week, there were 20. And it continued to grow through the grace of God. uh, And we met them where they were. So, uh, I think that's the critical point here, is that you didn't start by inviting them to come into the church because they were going through all of these issues and they were not ready for that, but you actually met them where they were. And this, this became a comfortable environment to begin this ministry. Please go ahead. Yes, spot on. And I think that's the key to true outreach. Um, you know, the word liturgy is work of the people and we go on Sunday mm. and perhaps we're hoodwinked into thinking that this is, this is it, we've ticked a box. Yeah. But in fact, the body and blood of Christ is within us and mm. we are sent out to the margins of communities. And so r- addressing people where they're at, in their brokenness, through your brokenness. Mm. So understanding your own weaknesses and your own broken, the broken part of your life connects you somehow to those that are on the margins. Absolutely. And yeah, that's how it happened organically. And God led us that way and it remains that way. It's because you had this passion and you really believed in what you were doing that you know God really blessed that that ministry and it's amazing to hear how it uh, how it all began so how how was this work funded during the first few years before you became an accredited charity in 2005 it was funded by the few servants that gathered every uh, week uh, once a week initially then it went to two two times a week, and then it became every day very, very quickly. 
So we started with a very small budget, in fact, nothing. Mm. And after two years of moving around, we decided to rent um, a small office in Ramsgate, about an eight-minute drive from the park. So we were out of the cold, each of us putting in $50 a week. And we were very scared during those days, although being fearful is something we've grown out of and into faith. And uh, now we have a a bigger office here in Rockdale. Through the grace of God, we don't have any assets. We rent. We have refuges for crisis accommodation. And each week, exactly the right amount is in in the bank. Mm. And... uh, it's lovely. We have a, a, a standing, um, oh, I wouldn't call it a joke, but there's a, there's a cake company up the road and it's called Manor from Heaven and they have a very pink truck. And so we've been here for about six years now and every day that truck passes and even the staff that are not orthodox will say, God will provide Manor from Heaven. And that's exactly what happened. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, again, because of your genuineness and your sincerity in the ministry that Exodus Youth Works uh, has been doing for so long, God will continue to provide for you and I'm sure will continue to grow and to develop. And maybe a bit later in one of the other episodes, we'll talk about uh, this uh, exciting news that you told me a few weeks ago, but we'll hold off. Uh, on that. (laughs) As part of your vision, you mentioned the words of the Lord Christ in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 3 to 5. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the the plank in your own eye? And you say that everyone, and you also say that everyone is broken in one way or another. Yes, um, we, I, I personally have been mentored by um, a wonderful Jesuit priest in Los Angeles, actually, Father Greg Boyle, and he is the CEO director of um, Homeboy Industries. And for many years, he, we've visited him there and he's been to Australia, and he speaks of the brokenness within our lives. And if that verse plays out if through self-reflection you can see that there are that everyone is broken and we are all part of the body of Christ so when i see another broken life i look to a hand or a foot or of Christ and this is my brother or sister in the body of Christ mm. and it is what we have in common we have brokenness, yes, and it levels things out. Mm. And um, if any of your viewers are uh, interested, Father Greg Boyle has what it's like Exodus, but it's on steroids. It's oh. just amazing. And where where able, in America? Yes, in um, California, okay, L.A. And he works with um, Latino gang members, and it's the oh. only program worldwide that can do this amazing work. So we visited there for some conferences a couple of times, and he has a book called Tattoos on the Heart, and my goodness, it will, it will reach into your heart. Mm. His, 
spirit of acceptance and non-judgmental service to those on the margins of society. And when you take that, it can, it can be applied anywhere, any country, any community, any township. Um, and you see miracles. You really do. I've got now staff members that started with us in the park. Um, they're now professionals within the industry. And Christ, when he calls, can call from the, the deepest places. Mm. Um, yeah, so we we really do try and view all our lives as broken and something we have in common with each other. Mm. Could you mention the name of that priest and that book again, and we'll put it in the notes uh, for the episode yep. as well. It's Father Greg Boyle, mm -hmm. Homeboy Industries in downtown LA. And the name of the book? Tattoos on the Heart. Tattoos on the heart, yes. Thank you mm. for that. You know, uh, Debbie, unfortunately, we tend to be very judgmental in our community of, of young people who stray, and we may become a stumbling block for them. Yes. And we do, not, uh, we do not realize our own brokenness and errors and are quick to judge. So why did you choose this verse in particular? It's a heavy leveler. It brings us all to the to the level of, you know, down there with everyone. No one is higher. No one is better. Uh, it allows us to the entry point of service of this kind even must be lower than those whom we serve. So we had a so many stories from South Africa where South Africa has a hideous background of uh, during the period of the apartheid government and people's colour determined where you lived, where you worked, whether you, where you sat on a bus. And there are still remnants of that even today in this community. And uh, I wonder, a most amazing Terrible thing happened one year. It was winter time, and one of our young ladies, um, a youth, had um, become unresponsive. And his eminence is is from a medical background. We checked her pulse. There was nothing. We ended up doing a CPR for about forty five minutes, and she lived. And thank God, she has children now. Amazing. But afterwards, when we finished, um, I was breathing for her and, and another person was um, uh, working with me on that. And when we stopped and the ambulance came and took her, the priests, the local priests came and said, you know, you spoke of love for so many years and um, now we see mm. what, what happened here tonight shows that you truly love us. There was no color. There was Christ. God sees no color in any of us. We are all his children. And for me, that was, gosh, that was a night I will never forget. I think I still feel the pain in my mm. knees. Mm. And it was the worst possible scenario and yet the very best. Indeed, indeed. And, uh, you know, I think probably uh, 
in a future episode of Coffee with Bishop Surreal, I probably need to uh, have a couple of episodes, if possible, with his yeah. eminence, uh, Metropolitan Antonios Marcos, and you know the great resilience and perseverance. Yes. How many years he has been in Africa, and particularly in yeah. South Africa, maybe close to 50 years, I would say, even yes. as a physician there, and then all of the incredible mission work he's done. Yes. But th this has been such a great start into our conversation with Debbie on this inspirational ministry of Exodus Youth Works. And I hope that you will tune in next week as we continue this journey with Debbie Armanius. I'll be probing deeper to learn more and will ask questions like, why was the Coptic Church hesitant at first to accept this ministry? What were some of the obstacles and challenges, and indeed, much, much more? A few questions, though, for you to reflect on throughout this coming week. What has your life's journey been like so far? What great memories do you have? Perhaps you can pull out some old photos that remind you of some joyful days you can remember. Have you suffered from brokenness or a crisis in your life? And how were you able to overcome it? Or perhaps you are currently dealing with a crisis in your life. Seek wise advice from a counselor or your spiritual guide. And know that the sun will shine again behind the dark clouds. Pray this week to find comfort in the word of God and with bent knees Place your problems before the Lord Christ, who is our true physician that can heal our brokenness. Stay safe and well. Until next week, be inspired by the Holy Spirit. Be sure to tune in next week when His Grace will be joined again by Debbie Armanios, the director of Exodus Youth Works, an innovative way of serving youth in crisis. This will be part two in our three-part series. Don't miss out on learning more about this incredible and important work that needs to be emulated in so many parts of the world. To join the conversation, please visit our website, coffeewithbishopsuriel.org. And don't forget, after you listen, you can really help out by rating the show. Thank you for listening to Coffee with Bishop Suriel, a podcast for all things Coptic. To join the conversation, please visit our website, coffeewithbishopsoriel.org. And always remember, the best way to start any morning is with God and a cup of coffee.